0: This is
1: the worst banter we've ever had.
0: Wow, <laughs> oh, is it recording? <laughs> Do you need me to say that more directly into the mic? Because I can't. <laughs> okay, sorry, we can start.
1: Go ahead.
2: Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the evanescently young, contentiously hip, and timelessly, oh, nope, <laughs> tirelessly late. nope, nope. nope. Third time's a charm, Ashley. (laughs) 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 Tiresomely lay. I don't think we're tiresomely. Editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Hey, everyone. And Olga Segura. Hey, guys. How are we doing?
1: Good. The Evanescently uh, adverb brought me back to my middle school days. From the gonna, Wake me up, wake me oh up Lord. inside. Um,
0: I'm Olga. in that. I'm in that weird in between. Like Thanksgiving put me in the holiday mode, but there's still work before Christmas, and I'm like, can we just not? Can it just be holiday all day? Into Thanksgiving
1: needs to be in August.
0: Why yeah. August? It's we too would close get even, to
1: Christmas. No,
0: we would get even. No, no, no. no that would Christmas just wouldn't even be there to system. tease you. I mean, you're also right, because it being so close to Christmas is why I'm now like... The only yeah. not-
2: reason I can survive is because it's only three weeks. If it was not any longer, cool. then I'd be like depressed for...
1: <laughs> now you're just depressed for three weeks, is what you're saying? <laughs> oh, okay. <Yeah. laughs> All right.
2: All right, what's on tap, Zach?
1: We are... It's in between thank I don't know. Totally understand the logic behind this. I was left out cold. of this decision. <laughs> it's cold, but it's actually 63 degrees outside right now. However, we are drinking a hot toddy. So the ingredients are Tea. Bourbon,
0: and honey.
2: And who are we talking to, Olga?
0: So today we're speaking with Mary C. Curtis, who's an award-winning journalist at Roll Call, and she's written for places like NBC, The Root, um, and she's also part of the op-ed project. So we'll be talking to her about her piece that she wrote for America,
2: uh, titled Catholics of Color Are Keeping the U.S. Church Alive. Uh, So that's pretty cool. But first, it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week, so you don't have to. Do
1: you ever dream that phrase? Sometimes I, I hear that, I, <laughs> <laughs>
2: like
1: just some of the things that we say every week.
2: Agreed. It's like, I think it's one of those things where like, like your high school locker combination where like, if you tried to make me say that not in front of a microphone, I'd not know what to do. <laughs> okay, <a> good point. <laughs> but you put a microphone in front of me and it just comes out. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah, our first story? Uh, we are quickly approaching Advent um, and one entrepreneurial Cannabis company in Canada,
1: cannabis in <laughs> say Canada, say that three
2: times fast, <laughs> um, is uh, celebrating the season by making a marijuana advent calendar. Wow. So, okay. In Canada, uh, medicinal marijuana is legal. Recreational is not, but Canada—it's kind of like a wink-nod situation where they're about to legalize it. So companies are just kind of operating in this gray space. Mm. Um, and this company, uh, it's called Coast to Coast Medic- medicinal, medicinal Marijuana, uh, has a calendar where you can get different— uh, Edibles and <laughs> cannabis flowers for each day of Advent. For each day <laughs> of Advent. <laughs> oh my
0: God!
1: I know so great we have story. some Canadian listeners, so they will be able to take advantage of this if they choose. However, they do not ship outside of Canada, no. so the rest of our listeners will have to do without.
2: <laughs> chocolate, yeah, chocolate, chocolate, yeah, That's just as good. <laughs> <laughs> Olga, what's next? So the next story
0: comes from France. The oldest woman in France is actually a, a nun. Sister Andre, who is 100 and... N-E or N-U-N, N-U-N yes. our favorite kind of nun. Um, and she's actually 113. She's one of the oldest religious sisters in the world, the oldest woman in France. And um, she didn't grow up Catholic, but she converted when she was 27. Um, and it's pretty cool. because, like, 27,
1: like before World War II. Like
0: before World War II, exactly. Um, but yeah, she thought that after her brothers died when she was 70, I believe, she thought that she would stop working, but she kept on at it. And now she's retired. So it's pretty cool.
1: Wow. Wonder what her secret is. I know.
0: Jesus. Jesus. Good. <laughs> That's like, the answer to Jesus, everything. Yeah.
1: Yes.
2: Okay. Next. Pope Francis has asked Cardinal Blaise Supich of Chicago to travel to Puerto Rico as a show of support for people there who. Over two months after Hurricane Maria hit, there's, like, still 50% of people without power, uh, over 1,000 people who are still in shelters. Uh, In a report, it says, Pope Francis has asked Cardinal Supic to express his deep concern as a father would for his sons and daughters suffering in his family and to let the people and the pastors know that their situation weighs heavily on him, as in Pope Francis. So, people of Puerto Rico, Pope Francis is thinking about you, and so are we. Yes. What's next Olga?
0: More Pope Francis news. Um, He visited Myanmar this week um, and he's the first pope to do so and in this part of the world the Rohingya are actually experiencing what the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights has called a textbook example of ethnic cleansing. Now the Rohingya are an ethnic group the majority of whom are Muslim and they've been living in Myanmar for centuries essentially Um, but Myanmar is a predominantly uh, Buddhist country and like since the 1970s there have been military crackdowns that have been very against the Rohingya. To put into context, just um, from October of 2016 to July of this year, over 80,000 Rohingya have fled um, the country because of they don't even have rights there. So this was seen as a very significant move by Pope Francis to visit this part of the world
1: and it was controversial because it centered on whether he was going to use the the r word right if he was right. going to call them rohingya mm-hmm. because most of myanmar just sees them as muslim outsiders who mm-hmm. are from the neighboring bangladesh mm-hmm. and the question was whether he was going to use that word and if someone uses that word it sort of signifies that they're siding with these people but more importantly they're against the government and the military right it would have been seen as like a very strong pushback
2: mm-hmm. he has used the word rohingya in rome and mm-hmm. he's talked about the need to support their human rights um and he he was you know told by the local priests and cardinals that it would not it would not help the situation to mm-hmm. use the word rohingya yeah. and so i for you know pope francis is you know his supporters and critics agree like he's a savvy politician mm-hmm. uh he grew he came of age in argentina where there mm-hmm. was a military junta and he knows that you have to sometimes work behind the scenes so you, you and know, it should when, be said
1: myanmar is still recovering from a 50-year yeah military it's, tra- dictatorship.
2: it's it's not i would not call it a democracy it's a tr- right. in a transition from a military dictatorship to a democracy um and so he's working within those constraints so then the question is was it worth you know It was kind of a lose-lose situation going in. So why did... You know, he was going to be criticized by some if he said Rohingya and he would be criticized by other as he has been if he doesn't. Um, so what what do you think the payoff was for him going? Do you think there was one?
0: I think it's like you were saying, Pope Francis
2: is I was surprised
0: that he didn't say the term, but it's like you're saying, like you're saying, Ashley, Pope Francis is very much a savvy politician and he's trying to build bridges. He's concerned with the long term and he wants to actually better the situation in the
1: country. You know. Yeah uh right now as we're recording he's on his way to bangladesh where he's supposed to meet with some of the Mm -hmm. rohingya refugees that are from myanmar um and i think just sitting down and hearing those stories um that's gonna that's gonna be worth way more than saying a single word right and so i think he's shining a light on the plight of these people in an important way um that frankly we wouldn't we wouldn't be talking about it on this show otherwise right Mm
2: -hmm. all right what's next zach
1: uh, speaking of Jesuits working behind the scenes with complicated political <laughs> situations. Isn't
2: that what they always <laughs> do? It's true.
1: Even though St. Ignatius left behind a life of civic service and the military life, uh, they've always been in that in that realm. And it is no different in modern-day Zimbabwe, where uh, it seems that the person who finally convinced Robert Mugabe to step down after, what was it, like 37 years? mm mm-hmm. um, was no surprise a jesuit priest Hmm. (laughs) and i brought this up because i in college thought about dropping out of college become a missionary in a van and a jesuit are you making
2: like the zimbabwe's liberation (laughs) about year?
1: because (laughs) it's very clear Uh, because who among us has not had a jesuit talk us out of a dumb thing
0: okay Uh, a bit of a stretch but sure (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, you're Mugabe in this situation?
1: No, no, no. The analogy is not 100 to 100. There's one similar thing.
2: (laughs) Okay, but back to Zimbabwe. This is a historic moment. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was what people are not calling a coup, but what was clearly a coup. Clearly (laughs) one, yeah. The military uh, took over parliament, gave uh, Mugabe an ultimatum, and he eventually stepped down, you know, pretty Peacefully, we don't know how things will shake up yet. Um, but this this Jesuit priest had a long-standing relationship with Mugabe from the times of the civil war, um, and was able to convince Mugabe that he could sec- step down with dignity um, and still be a hero of his country and you know a hero for his people. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of a surprisingly happy ending to what has been a tumultuous. Couple weeks in that country. Yeah,
1: thank you Jesuits everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm Trying to be young and hip, you
3: know. Yeah. Well, I might not be young, but I have plenty of hip.
0: <laughs> Don't doubt it. So we are pleased to welcome columnist at Roll Call and award-winning journalist, Mary C.
3: Curtis. Welcome to Jesuitical, Mary. Why, I'm so happy to be here. Always good to hang out with some Jesuits. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we feel the same. Um, so you're a writer and a journalist, and you wrote this really great piece for us um, about your what it is to be a black Catholic. Um, what's it like inhabiting that space? Do, do you kind of face misconceptions from either side?
3: You really do. Um, but I grew up in Baltimore. And of course, as you know, Maryland, it's a very Catholic state, Maryland. Actually, I was surrounded by many black Catholics. I was taught by the Obelate Sisters of Providence, which was founded in Baltimore in 1829, a black order of nuns. And I went to St. Pius V School. Mm-hmm. And we were not the only African-American church or school. There were white priests, the Josephites, but uh, you also had St. Peter Claver, St. Francis Xavier. But uh, when I got outside and went to other places, say New York to go to Fordham, which is a Jesuit school, other people would look at me in spaces, particularly when I started my work life, and say, Oh, I didn't know blacks were Catholics. And I was like, really, I thought we all were. <laughs> and I mean, my name is Mary Cecilia, which is very much dripping rosary beads, right? It was my grandmother's oh, yeah. name. And, and my sister uh, was a little girl when my grandmother died. And they said if they had another daughter, they would name her after uh, Mary Cecilia after my grandmother and And that's why I always use the C, the middle initial C, where people say, is that pretentious? I was like, no, I went to Catholic schools. There were so many Marys in the class. (laughs) If we didn't go by our middle names, you would say Mary and four people would turn around. So
2: So I think when a lot of people think about the Catholic Church in the United States, they think of like the immigrant parishes, the Irish and the Italian, or today they think about the growing Latino church. But you don't hear as much um, about the black Catholic experience. So could you tell us? A little bit about the traditions that African American Catholics have that um, that other groups might not know about. Well,
3: growing up, I would say our worship was very similar—you know, Latin Mass and funeral masses and so forth. Now uh, that that worship has actually changed. My sister now belongs to a, a black, predominantly black parish in Baltimore that actually was white when I was growing up, but it kind of morphed with the neighborhood, just like neighborhoods do. And their worship style is very uh, much more, I would say, Afrocentric. They, uh, she runs the, uh, she does praise dance with a group of young girls. The music is more gospel inflected, and it's much more demonstrative. The sermons are longer. In fact, I kid her when I go. I say, "Wow, I have to go church. I think I have to go to church." <laughs> I, I said, if I, "If I wanted to be in the uh, in church for an hour and a half, I'd be a Baptist." <laughs> <laughs> Is too, I'm like my 7:30 mass in and out, but and it's only half joking. But she really enjoys it, and her husband sings in the choir. So I I think the 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 scriptures and the mass and that is definitely the same. But sometimes the style of worship, you know, it can be more demonstrative or not or not. Uh, it, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's racially driven. It's just the style that you particularly like.
1: Mary, you talked about getting to Fordham and being told like, oh, I didn't know blacks were Catholic. And, and something that Ashley Olga and I have talked a lot about is how uh, y- y- your faith and your own identities change in college. Did that change the way that you approached your identities as either an African-American woman or a Catholic in your time at Fordham?
3: Well, not, not really at my time at Fordham in a way because actually it was a, it's, it was as welcoming there in a sense because I am Catholic and you go to mass and so people recognize you as that. I met my husband in, in college and he's Catholic, although he doesn't go to church must now. But, called out. But, but, <laughs> but he would, I will call him out. He'd be proud to say it, but he is Catholic in his core, like he would not be anything else. Yeah. And it's funny because he's, uh, not African American. His, his last name is Olsen. His father's of Norwegian descent and his mother's of English and Irish descent. And people mm-hmm. ask about that. And I say, well, actually, I think his mother is, you know, our families get along because it was more important that they know the kid would be raised Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mary, one of the things
0: you've talked about um, a lot has been how the role Pope Francis has played in sort of bringing Catholics of color back into the church um can you talk about his role or his influence in your own life we're coming up on the fifth year anniversary of his election so how much has changed in your opinion
3: well i think a lot has changed his whole sense of opening it up to the poor being a a a person about mission about good works about charity about being humble about reaching out, about not being punitive, and and realizing, uh, as he says, that it's a church that is open. Those values that drew me to the Catholic Church, that keep me in the Catholic Church, I I appreciate my parish has many ministries for the disabled, um, baking for the bereaved, those kinds of things. And he has gotten it closer to that and less about um, punishment less about judgment and less also about ritual in the sense of him not, you know, eschewing the, all the trappings, uh, the, of, of like staying in the big palace. He doesn't, uh, being more about the servant leader. And that's why I think he took the name of Francis. I've, I've been at odds with the church on certain things, uh, and of course, the abuse scandals—that—that that was a crisis for many uh, Catholics, I think, and I'm no different. But I have remained, and I think his leadership has lit the the way for me to to sort. Of- Rededicate myself in that way.
2: Yeah. So you describe the Church of Pope Francis as one that that goes out, that goes to the margins, that is a, a servant church. Um, what do you think you you work or you write about politics uh, in the U.S. What does what does that mean for the role of the Church in the United States now um, under President Donald Trump? Um, what what do you what are you looking for from um, church leadership or just from you know people in the pews?
3: Well, it's so interesting because when I write about black and brown Catholics to get back to that, when you look at where the church is, the church has gone through different spaces in its history and beliefs. I grew up in Baltimore, you know, the home of the Berrigan brothers, and <laughs> <the, laughs> uh, you know, the protest of the war. And uh, and you saw nuns marching in the civil rights uh, time where my three older siblings were involved in that. And then you saw it many uh, white ethnic Catholics were among the Reagan Democrats. Uh, and it was a harsher law and order, uh, slightly racialized kind of, mm-hmm. of way of looking at it. And now you see many white Catholics aligning more with white evangelicals. So you see the church kind of split. You could see it in the last election, uh, where Catholics were split, but a lot along racial lines. Yeah.
2: You mentioned, you mentioned, um, how during the civil rights movement, you would see, you know, priests and sisters on the front lines. Um, I think there were a lot of people after, after the events in Charlottesville who were, you know, upset that there wasn't a stronger Catholic presence there. Is that, is that something you, you worry about that they've kind of lost that prophetic role?
3: Well, you've always still seen a piece of it like Sister Simone Campbell and others who are in the trenches, nurses, uh, nurse nuns, and others in the communities or Father Flagler, say, in Chicago, who are in there working with people, and they've always been on the ground doing the work. Mm -hmm. So you've never really lost that. You've always had different factions, because as I said, we're all human beings with different views and different ways of interpreting the scripture. I would just hope that Catholics both in the pulpit and in the pews and in the neighborhoods would be kind to their neighbors and loving and open. I I grew up in Baltimore, as I said, and there were a lot of racial issues over housing segregation and things like that. And I do remember Lawrence Cardinal Sheehan, who was for open housing and and fair housing policies, being vilified by ethnic Catholics who were anti-integration of housing. So... You know, we all, I have my way of interpreting what that means to be open to your neighbors. I realize that other people who call themselves good Catholics differ. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's between them and their God. (laughs) And then, you know, hey, if people are marching in the street and they they might be a nun, they're just not wearing the habit. (laughs) Right, right.
1: (laughs) You mentioned in your article for America that your parish, which is mostly white, tends to shy away from hot button issues. Do you think that should change? Is that something you want to hear about on Sundays?
3: I believe that Catholics, as well as everyone, will not be able to escape to a cocoon and say, this is what we deal with on Sunday. It's an escape. And if we do them in the end for the homeless, which we do, and I do some of the food ministry for that, or we fill up St. Vincent de Paul baskets and give the diocese an appeal, that we are doing what we need to do. You're going to have to commit. But I think in that way that we all are, because this country is becoming uh, more diverse. Uh, and the needs of everyone have to be addressed because we all have the potential to contribute to the society. So yes, I think we do need to go past those surface ministries and really get deep into what it means to love one another and serve the Lord.
2: Yeah. So um, you you are a columnist for Roll Call. You write about politics, and this time when there, it you know. We are very polarized and there are um, a lot of issues we need to address. How how would you say that your Catholic faith informs how you how you approach that work?
3: Well, one thing, when, when someone writes me a nasty email or <laughs> leaves me a message, I, I say a prayer for them. <laughs> That's, That's good. Is. I really don't engage. Um, I pretty much feel like if you call me a name, that doesn't make me that name. It just means that you're suffering. And that you're feeling, so that informed uh, i know you laugh but that's true no no uh and then also as i said i i do look at things through a human level and and i challenge people to when they make statements about i represent all americans or do your policies show that
2: can you give an example of a well yeah do the
3: apology i wrote about uh jeff sessions and his And his criminal justice policies, he's a Mm -hmm. hardliner in immigration, he wants to stop the consent decrees between police departments and the communities they cover, where they are reformed, he feels Mm -hmm. that police need more power, uh, or when the president speaks before a group of police officers and says, I think you should treat suspects rougher. That's something that I would challenge them. If you are going to go to church and consider yourself a good person how those policies are going to make things worse what will happen when we when we take away policies that uh protect the environment uh will you have more flint michigans will you have more children with lead poisoning i guess i use my faith to draw the line from policy to the effect it's going to have on real human beings mm-hmm. and say to these people and question that so yeah, I can give you a lot of examples. You can kind of look at all my recent columns. Right, right. See.
0: Yeah. Great. So thank you, Mary. Thank you so much for talking to us. This has been great. So one final question. If you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or non-Catholic, <laughs> <laughs> who would it be and why?
3: Well, right now, I know, uh, just like when I was in Seton High School in Baltimore, we were praying for our blessed Elizabeth Seton to get that last miracle so she could be insane. <laughs> and she did. I think our prayers did it. Uh, my, uh, my sister I know, Janice, Janice Curtis Green, is involved in, she's a storyteller. And one of the stories she tells, one of the characters she takes on besides Harriet Tubman is, uh, Mother Mary uh, Lange, uh, who was a founder of the Oblate Sisters. And there's a move that that she would become a saint that to sain her for starting this. So I guess I'll get the ball rolling. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back to my, you know, oblate founder and, <laughs> you know, put the good word in for another Catholic color. And and speaking of Harriet Tubman, someone like that is truly uh, since they've taken away that I guess the new administration says that she might not get that. The twenty dollar bill, bill mm-hmm. after all of Andrew Jackson, which all I'm right. really argh, mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, we'll make her a Saint so, too. <laughs> you know, maybe we'll make her a Saint yeah. Harriet. You know, she's to get that rifle and tell those folks, come on, I'm taking you to freedom whether you want it or not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much for talking to us, Mary.
2: Yeah, this is well, great. thank, thank you. you
3: I really enjoyed it. I hope I didn't talk too much. Not at no,
0: all. no, no,
2: no. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> thank and you. My little brother works for Roll Call, so if you ever see a Thomas McKinless around the office,
3: <laughs> oh, <I laughs> say sure hi to him for I'm me. <laughs> I've been in, in Washington a lot. And I, I think the name of Jesuit is very cool. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you so We, we, we yeah. kind
0: of like...
2: All right, now it's time for some listener feedback. First, we have a desolation from Mary from Philly, who was very upset that we did not mention Saint Joseph's University in our special Jesuit basketball Ooh, episode, sorry. Um, despite them having three current NBA players. Um, so that's our bad. We're sorry to add to your desolation. And
1: they're one of only three Division One teams in all of college basketball to have an undefeated season in the last twenty-five years.
2: Oh. <laughs> Our and help.
1: Jameer Nelson was a baller. That is true. <gasps>
2: okay. Sorry, Mary. We Our bad early. Mary. <laughs> okay. Next, better news. We have a ton of books to give away. Mm-hmm. And it's <laughs> about, it's the Christmas season. Yeah, so if there's gifts. someone in your life that you want to give a gift to and you don't want to spend money. <laughs>
1: we, have <laughs> a, we have a solution <laughs> for you.
2: <laughs> so we are giving away copies of the Jesuit Post book. Which yes. Do you, can you explain what the it's Jesuit
1: on Post my is? bookshelf? I've read it. It's a collection of essays from the Jesuit Post, which, if you aren't familiar, I'm surprised. But if you aren't, it's a website run by jesuits in training who write about the intersection of faith in real life Mm -hmm. and so it's some of their it's like the greatest hits all collected in one book and they're pretty great and Mm -hmm. they are they're really great
0: and what do they have
2: to do to win a free book they have to send us an email they
1: as in you listener
2: you have to send us an email with a review your so you have to leave us a review on itunes and then send us an email with your itunes like account name in the subject it's important in the subject Yes. Leave us a review on iTunes, then email us with your name in the subject. Also, Other... if you
1: send me a Christmas gift with a cash value of more than $25, we'll probably send you one. <laughs>
0: Zach, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <Olga. Yeah. laughs> um clearly as you can tell we're all ready for holiday we're winding down here at Jesuitical and we've got some really great interviews lined up for you guys in the next few weeks so stay tuned for that and we'll be back in 2018 with our regular
2: episodes yeah so for the next couple shows we're not gonna have our regular signs of the times and consolations and desolations um because you know we're we're doing some good Advent reflecting, some good Christmas shopping. I'm sure you're doing the same, so we don't want to overburden you, but we still want to be in your earbuds. But come January, we'll be back. But before we leave, one last consolations and desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Zach?
1: So over Thanksgiving, there was a bit of a health scare in my girlfriend Amanda's family. Um, Her mom had some temporary amnesia which there are no discernible causes or lasting effects so everything is fine now but it was very scary in the moment where um, her mom couldn't form any new memories and so she kept asking the question over and over again like what's happening what's going on and the her family just kept saying you know with the great patience with great authenticity every single time like over a 100 times explaining to uh, her mom, who's going through a very scary thing, while well, they're going through a very scary thing, right? Um, what was going on? And the thing that, the consolation I felt, which in the context of this, you know, sort of turbulent experience was, it reminded me of the way that God listens and responds to us when we're asking, what's going on, what's happening? Um, over and over and over again. And God remains something, who, someone who is patient and loving, um, even if we're still confused and not sure what's going on. And so that was my consolation over Thanksgiving.
2: I have a similar experience, but more of a desolation. So I go to South Carolina for Thanksgiving every year. Um, and I have some members of that, that side of the family. Um, some are struggling with some mental health issues. Some are struggling with some financial issues. Um, and, and, you know, I only see these people like twice a year and it's the time of year where like, we're all trying to be festive and we're all trying to like take part in these family traditions and be our best selves. Um, and I just, but you know, as these things do, they, you know, they kind of, like, crack through the facade of what we're trying to put on. Um, And, and I felt kind of, like, powerless to help them. And so it was desolating to, like, you know, have this, like, I had some, like, very sincere encounters with um, these members of my family. But then, you know, then I I was gone, and I don't know how to maintain, how to, like, Keep being a support for them. Um, so I guess the desolation was just like, I don't, yeah, the the feeling of like seeing suffering and feeling powerless in in the face of it, mm. um, and not knowing like how how to be like the best niece or cousin that I can be um, given given the constraints of time and space. Um, so that was that was difficult. Mm. About you, Olga.
0: I've also got a desolation. Um, So, we've talked about how the holidays are kind of stressful. You're setting up to like meet families and like meet new people. Um, And I went in with certain expectations regarding like my family, Enoch's family, um, that didn't fall through. And I think like I have been only focusing on what it is to like want someone's acceptance and just this fear of like not having people want me to be in their lives so it's made me for the past few days kind of just like be really critical of my relationship and my family and friends have been like you know you're only focusing on the negative right now like you you're growing in your faith with this person that you love and right now i'm not focusing on that i'm just focusing on like why don't people like me like i don't understand that and it's just focusing on the fear has made me like not see the way god i've been seeing him in other aspects of my life and that's just been really desolating
1: yeah yeah that's tough but you are well-liked around this table.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Well-loved, Don't forget Even. that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <You don't- laughs> guys. Stop it. We, I can't cry. You don't have, have to do thing. either
1: of those things. We just have to be your podcasters. It's so. true.
2: It's true. Thank you, guys.
1: <laughs> All right. Roll credits. All
0: right.
2: Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit Formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Thank you to... Emedy Angum and Catherine Addington for SOT suggestions. And
1: the rest of everyone else who sent ones in.
2: Yes, but we used those too. They were great. And they were, sorry, I shouldn't have said. (laughs) They were all great. Everyone's a winner. Engineering by Angela Jesus Canta. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. And please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Yeah. Please leave us a review. Get a free book.
1: We're like approaching (laughs) 200, which Mm -hmm. is pretty exciting. So push us over that top. you doing it.
0: Tell your friends to do it. Tell your family to do it.
2: That you'll be seeing for the holidays. Mm Mm-hmm. Shout out to John Doc 23 Mel Rob Ruff, and Bam Fal for leaving reviews last week. And finally, send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless. For Zach Davis and Olga Segura, and we'll see you next week.